right, you ready to get started today? Great, let's go. We're going to be talking about uh, love for the next uh, several weeks, and today we're talking about transformative love, transformational love, the kind of love that is not just something that makes us feel good for the moment, but actually transitions and transforms our lives. Of all the qualities of character known to us, love is definitely the most sought after in all the world. People seek after love. People want to receive love. People want to know how to give love. Men and women have chased after many things. And even after acquiring those things, we find that if all we have is things, then our hearts are empty. Though our hands are full, our hearts are empty. In 1517, Martin Luther pinned his 95 thesis to the door of a church in Germany. Eighty years later, Shakespeare writes a play entitled The Merchant of Venice. One of the scenes in that play is called The Three Caskets Scene, in which Portia is the princess who is wanting to get married. But her father has died, but left in his will the process by which she has to have her suitor selected. She's not too happy with that. She's kind of a, kind of a free spirit. And yet, the, the, the juxtaposition of that is that she's also a rule follower. So she wants to do it her way, but she's willing to follow the dictates of her father's will. Well, the selection process goes like this. There is a room with three caskets in the room. One is made of gold. One is made of silver, and one is made of lead. On the gold casket, there's an inscription that reads, The one who chooses me will gain what many men desire. The casket made of silver has an inscription that reads, The one who chooses me will get all that he deserves. And the casket made of lead has this inscription. The one who chooses me must give and hazard all that he has. The suitors, the men who are interested in marrying the princess Portia, must come into this room one at a time and make a selection. They look at the caskets and they read the inscription on each one of them and they must choose. And what they're trying to choose is the casket which holds Portia's portrait in it. If they open the right casket with her portrait, then they get to marry the princess. Well, each of them comes in one at a time and reads the three inscriptions, and each selects the one that they believe will possess the portrait of Portia. Let's come back to that a little bit later. Many believe that love is chance. Some believe that love is a revelation. Well, it's a chance. We're just, I, I hope to find somebody that will love me. I, I hope to, to be a person who is loving and kind and compassionate. It's, but it's just kind of up to chance. It's just kind of, you maybe pick the right person or you don't pick the right person. Some believe it's a revelation that we need to pray and, and God tells us everything and, and there's no real faith or movement like that. It's just a revelation. Chance or revelation, that's the two that many people believe 
is the reality of love. But the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, writes to the Corinthian church about the gifts of the Spirit in chapters 12 and 14, but right in the middle of it, he writes what is called the love chapter. And it is certainly not divorced or separate from the gifts of the Spirit, which is what we just finished studying, the gifts of the Spirit. I want to ask you to turn, if you would, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to read this chapter on love that the Holy Spirit wrote to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Let's read this together. He says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. It, is not, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others and is not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. What I'd like to do is focus today in our introduction to this series on love in verse number 8. Verse number 8 starts off with a bold proclamation. I want to encourage you, when you're getting ready to make a comparison... You're getting ready to make decisions. You're trying to figure out what is truth and what is not, what is good, what is bad, what is better and best. It is important to know the truth and make a bold proclamation of the truth. That's where the Holy Spirit writes there in verse number 8. He starts off with that bold proclamation, love never fails. How many of you can testify to the fact, that's right, love never fails? Love never fails. But then he goes into the comparison. He says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. The Holy Spirit uses these three distinct comparisons to love. He first starts with prophecy. Well, prophecy gives us direction. It talks about do this, go here, this is the direction, this is what's important. It gives us direction. But love gives us the purpose for the direction. It's not enough just simply to be going through the motions, but to carry with you love, to be filled with love, to exercise love, to give love. Next is the gifts of the Holy Spirit, referenced there with tongues. He says tongues will be silenced. Those gifts of the Spirit are very important for inspiration. 
They give us that encouragement. The purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the encouragement of the body of Christ. Vitally important. But love gives the foundation for the inspiration. We see in our society today many people that are inspired and inspired by religion. And inspiration is important. It's important to rejoice, and it's important to be happy, and it's important to be joyful. It's important to be inspired. We have plaques on our walls and our offices of inspiration that help us to, to maintain a positive attitude. Inspiration is very good. But if inspiration isn't founded, it's not connected to something that is rock solid, we find that the inspiration is just simply a blowing in the wind. I reference that a lot to a kite. Do you ever find yourself being drawn to see a kite? Maybe you go to the beach or maybe a lake and somebody's flying a kite. It's just you look at it and you go, man, that's cool. It's so simple. There's nothing profound about it. It's just cool. Have you ever found yourself just sitting there on the beach or maybe at the lake and you just, you just kind of just are drawn to the kite because they're just so neat, simple, and easy? The reason why kites, I think, are so fascinating is because though we cannot see the wind, we can see the effect of the wind with a kite. We can see that there is something that we can't see. Can't see the wind, but we see what the wind does. In the same way, Jesus used that total reference. He said the Holy Spirit is, is kind of like the wind. You, you don't really see it. It comes and goes, and you're not sure where it's going to come from next, and you're not sure where it's going to go to next. You can't see the wind, but the truth is you can see the effect of the wind. You can see the effect of the wind on your own life, but also on the lives of one another. We see the fact that we have graduated in certain areas in our spiritual walk, and now we're no longer the immature people that we used to be. Now we are more mature than we used to be. We see the effect of the Holy Spirit on our lives. Inspiration gives us that constant source of encouragement to follow God and to go through the changes that He takes us through. But just like a kite, if a kite is not anchored to something problems happen. With a kite in the air, if you cut the string, what happens? The thought might be, well, it'll just keep floating around. Now it's free. But the opposite is true. Unless a kite is grounded to reality and to truth and to a foundation, it doesn't just simply fly and be free. It immediately begins to fall to the ground. Inspiration is important, but it must be founded on the truth. And without truth, inspiration is just simply a blowing in the wind. There's nothing there except just air. Inspiration must be grounded, and that's where love comes in. Our, love is to, our inspiration is to be grounded on the love of Jesus Christ. The fact that he went to the cross for us. The fact that he paid the price for us. That's the grounding of our love. The inspiration points us in that direction and allows the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. The next comparison to use there is knowledge. Knowledge informs you of the right decision. But love gives you the right motive. Love helps you not just do the right thing, but to have the right motive while doing it. Now, I know that I'm the only person that's ever dealt with this in my life, but sometimes I find myself doing something that I don't want to do. I mean, good things. You know, like helpful things. But I don't want to do them. 
I'd rather be doing something that would gratify me instead of somebody else. Now, I know I'm the only person. I want you all to pray for me. We all deal with that. We've got to be honest. We're all sometimes we're just doing the right thing, but we have the worst attitude in the world. We're just like, oh, I've got to fix this meal. I've got to go visit this person. I've got to... Love gives us the right motive to go in the right direction, to do the right things, and make the right decision. It's love. Without love, that's why he's saying without love, we can do all the right stuff, but without love, it means nothing at all. And so it, we might feel the pressure to go, oh, now I've got to have love, and I've got to have love all the time, and I've got to have love in everything I do. It's too much pressure. How can I do that? How can I always be motivated with love? See, all of these things, prophecy, the gifts of the Spirit, knowledge, and many, many more things, without love, they are just simply religion, just simply going through the motions, just simply being like the Pharisees and Sadducees, doing all the right stuff, but not connected to the source of love. That's why Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he says, yeah, y'all are doing a lot of right stuff, but you don't even know me. You don't even know the one that's standing in front of you, and you're the ones that have been studying the Bible for a long time. You should recognize me. You should know me, but you have no idea who I am because you've just been going through the motions. Love is what causes us to have the right motive while doing all of the right things. I think many times of these... Um, Personality. Have you ever taken a personality test? You know, maybe, uh, the, what is it, the Myers-Briggs, Brig-Myers, whatever it's called, Enneagram, all those type things, the, the, the things that kind of tell you who you are. <laughs> That's enough said right there. <laughs> and sometimes we begin to think, well, I, I, need to, I need to know what's your number and what's your wing and your flap or whatever else is out there. I don't know. <laughs> Because if I, if I know you, then, then I can relate with you. And I, I just want to share an idea, you know. Knowing someone's personality type does not make you love them. In fact, it might make you hate them. Because they're like opposite of you. They're like, you know, have you ever been paired on a project at work? with somebody who's like a six with a two wing? I don't even know if that's possible. I, I don't know. And you're, and you're immediately going, oh, no, I can't do this project with them. They're a six with a two wing. I can't do this. But instead, if they're not a six with a two wing. They're a person. Their name is John, Susie, Mary, whatever. They're a person made in the image of God. They're not a number. They're, they're not a letter. They're not a D, an I, and what they're a person. Love is so important to us because we understand that love supersedes personality. That if you love someone, what do you find yourself doing? You look at them and their personality, whatever it is, and you're going like, I can work with that. I can do that. I don't. I'm not going to think the way they think, and I'm not going to respond the way they respond, but I can, I can work with that because I love them. 
You see, love supersedes personality types. Love causes you to love people that aren't even your personality type or even one that you get along with because of love. Love is more important than all the disc and the Enneagram and all that stuff, all of it combined and put together. Because when you decide to love someone, all of a sudden you look at their quirkiness and you go, it really doesn't bother me anymore. Come on, you know there's people around you that are quirky, right? I mean, they have some things about them you're going like, are they a Christian? You know, it's like, yeah. And, and if you let it, it'll just rub you like sandpaper. And you're like, oh, I can't believe it. But if you decide to love them up front, you said the most important part about this project that we're going to do is the fact that I'm going to love you. And that way I'm going to overlook your quirkiness and I'm going to overlook all the things that I don't like about your personality type because I'm just going to love you. Isn't that the way the body of Christ works? Isn't that what Paul instructed? He said, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The foot can't say to the hip, I don't need you. I don't, I don't need it. No, he says when we're joined and knit together, we're doing that by what love provides. It's love. So that when someone makes a mistake, love overcomes that. Love covers over a multitude of sin. Love is more important than all of the dysfunction of our lives, all the dysfunctions of our personality, all the quirkiness about us. Love supersedes all of it. It goes beyond because it's more powerful. God, His transformational love first comes with a proclamation. John 3.16. His transformational love makes a big, bold proclamation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's that bold proclamation about God's love. God loved the world. Not just Americans. Not just Europeans. Not just whatever group you want to say. God so loved the world. That's why if anyone is preaching to you about division, about how we, we need to have special rules for these and special rules for those and special situation for them and special situation, let me tell you something, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that anyone, anywhere, at any time who comes to God and acknowledges Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, receives his forgiveness, that person is a part of the body of Christ. And in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. There's neither slave nor slave owner. We are all in Christ. That is the gospel. The world is trying to divide us, but Christ is uniting us. We are united as one. You're not different rules for different people under Christ. That's one banner of love. And he makes that bold proclamation. But secondly, there's a verification of it. For in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. What a, what a powerful statement. What a verification of the bold proclamation. God didn't just say, hey, I love you. I, I love you. I want you to know I love you. You're down there in the world and all your misery and the sin that you created and the problems that you guys have perpetuated. But I love you. 
No, he verified his love in that while we were sinners, while we were lost, while we couldn't do anything to help ourselves, Christ died on the cross. He paid the price and the ultimate price and the only price and the final price for all of our sin. Not just some of our sin, but all of our sin. Not just the sin of some people, but the sin of the entire world. While we were sinners, while we couldn't help ourselves, Jesus Christ was hanging on a cross. Because God wanted to show and verify, I love you. I love you. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, God loves you. For God so loved the world. And while you were a sinner, while I was a sinner, Christ died on the cross for you, for me, for the entire world. But he finishes it up with that transformation in Romans 5, 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It's not a love that's distant. It's not a love that's far away. It's like, oh, God's loving me from heaven. Okay, well, Jesus came to the earth, but that was 2,000 years ago. Now he's back in heaven. No, God said, I love you so much that Christ paid the price for your sin, and now I have given the Holy Spirit, and I have filled you with the Holy Spirit because I love you. And I want you to know you're not orphans. You've been adopted into my family. You're not going to be an orphan. You're never going to be an orphan. You've been adopted into my family. And he's poured out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so we walk in his love. We are filled with his love because God so loved the world. Because God so loved the world, while we were sinners, Christ died on the cross. Christ died on the cross because he wanted us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. His love, his power, and his grace. That's the transformation. You cannot have an experience of anger, an experience of evil, an experience of abuse without it being connected to a person. Nor can you have the experience of love without it being connected to a person. It's not a matter of just saying that God is here and his love is here and I'm trying to get his love. No, God and love are inseparable. They cannot be separated. And so to be filled with God's love is to be filled with God himself. It is an encounter with God that causes you to be filled with his love. Let's go back to Shakespeare and Three Caskets in The Merchant of Venice. There were three caskets, gold, silver, and lead. There were three choices made. The one who chose gold did so because of the second verb in the inscription, he who chooses me shall gain. The second chose the casket of silver. He who chooses me shall get. The one who chose wisely chose the lead casket, which read, he who chooses me shall give and hazard all that he has. That's exactly what God did. He gave and hazard everything for your love. And that is exactly what he calls us to do today, is to give and hazard everything to receive eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus did not say, hey, listen, I've come to, to this world and I've died on the cross so you can have a 401k with six digits. He didn't come and say, I've died on the cross so you can have a mountain house and a lake house and a suburb house and a downtown house. 
He said, I've come and I've died on the cross so you can have eternal life. Eternal life. And that's what it's about. When you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, you have an encounter with love. And that love is what washes away our sins. That love is what transitions and revolutionizes our life. That love of God fills your heart, forgives your sin, and transforms everything about you. And it's the love of God. It's not religion. It's not preaching or a preacher. It's not a denomination or all the rules. It is an encounter with Jesus Christ. My question to you today is, have you had an encounter with Jesus Christ? An encounter with love. They're one and the same. The love of God being poured out into your heart is what causes you to love people even that you don't norm, normally wouldn't naturally get along with. It's the love of God. You see, when life blesses us and when life pressures us, it reveals what's on the inside. And there could be a pressure right now that you might be thinking, oh man, I got to work up love. I got to figure out how to love. It's simple. God, fill me with your love. And then when life blesses me and life pressures me and what's inside of me comes out, it's going to be love because you've been filled with love. Some of you today might be saying, you know what? I'm having, pre I'm having problems with love. I'm, I'm gravitating and defaulting more toward anger and more toward hurt and more toward isolation and more toward vindication. But I know I need to love. Be filled with God's love today. When you're blessed and when you're pressured, love's going to come out. Be filled with God's love. Well, how do I do that? It's merely just simply having an encounter with Jesus Christ. Have an encounter today with Jesus Christ. Tomorrow, Wednesday, Saturday, every day, have an encounter with Jesus Christ in your home, in your living room, wherever you're at. And say, God, fill me with your love. Let, let, let your love so fill me that all the resentment and the anger and the disquietedness just begins to be pushed out. Push out all of the meanness so that it's you. So that when I'm blessed and when I'm pressured, you are the one that comes out. Fill me with your love, God. Fill me with your love. Let's pray right now, okay? Father God, you are truly love. There is no better description of you, though you are mighty and you're powerful and you're foundational and you're eternal. But Lord, you describe yourself predominantly, God, as love. And Lord, we want to do the same thing. Thank you that you love us so much that you died on the cross for our sins. You paid the ultimate price for our sins. And Lord, we do not have to carry that weight anymore. We don't have to carry the weight of our sin. You have, you have broken that chain that held us to our sin. And thank you, God, for doing that. Thank you that we are free. But Father, we know that we have an enemy that would try to heap that sin back on our back, and we say no. We are now children of love. We have been adopted by the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so, Father, we say no to the enemy. We say yes to you, God. Would you fill us with your love today? Fill us with your grace and your mercy. May it overflow out of our lives. In Jesus' name, as you continue to pray and ask this question to everyone here today, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you come to him and said, Lord, please forgive me of my sin. I recognize I've, I, I've done things wrong. I've done things that have 
that have been totally against what you've wanted me to do. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And Lord, please receive my life into your life. Fill me with your love. I want to follow you all, all the days of my life, every day, every year. I want to follow you. I want to be one of your children. Have you ever had that encounter? The, Jesus described it like being born again. It's a fresh start. It's, it's a new day. He said it's like, it's like being born again. Have you experienced that? Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, there's, there's this unique experience where the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Have you had that experience? Do you have that testimony in your life? If you don't, you can have that today. It's a matter of coming to God with all of your sincerity and all of your humility and saying, God, please forgive me. Please come into my life. Lord, I, absorb me into you that I could know you, follow you, serve you all the days of my life. I'm going to encourage you to pray that prayer right now. Just, just ask God to forgive you. Ask Christ to come into your life, and he will. And in this moment right now, your life can be transformed by his love and by his grace. Thank you, God.